Hello, welcome to The Cancer Informant. I'm Dr. Tony Malioko, the host of The Cancer Informant. The Cancer Informant is a podcast that's dedicated to cancer patients. It's non-commercial, and we are discussing various topics of interest to patients who are living with cancer and seeking treatment and new treatment options for their disease. Today's episode of The Cancer Informant will be what you need to know about colorectal cancer. Colorectal cancer is one of the more common cancers and affects both men and women. Unfortunately, the incidence of colorectal cancer is going up. However, it is one of the more treatable and curable cancers. The reason that colorectal cancer is actually treatable and curable is because we can detect it at an earlier stage when it can be cured by surgery. What are the risk factors for colorectal cancer? So one is age. The older we get, the more likely we are to develop cancer. And colorectal cancer is one of those cancers that is definitely associated with aging. Other risk factors for colorectal cancer include obesity and alcohol consumption. In addition, cigarette smoking may also increase the risk of colorectal cancer. Another strong risk factor for the development of colorectal cancer is genetics. So if you happen to have parents or relatives who have developed colorectal cancer, particularly at a young age, and by young age, I mean under the age of 50, um, there's an increased likelihood that your family might carry a gene that predisposes to the development of colorectal cancer. This is somewhat of a double-edged sword because one, if you do happen to inherit one of those colorectal inducing or high-risk genes, it means that not only do you have a risk of developing colon cancer, but there is a positive side that often in these cases where there is a familial gene, there might actually be therapy that is more effective in uh, people who carry that risk predisposing gene. I'll talk about that a little bit more in the treatment discussion of the podcast later on. Now, how can we detect colorectal cancer? Well, colorectal cancer can cause symptoms. The commonest symptoms are bleeding. So bleeding in the stools, and sometimes blood doesn't show up as blood in the stools. It may appear as a black substance. So the presence of blood in stool is definitely a concerning factor and one that should prompt investigation as to what is the underlying cause of this. Colorectal cancer can also cause interruptions of normal bowel movements, um, typically constipation, but it may also result in diarrhea or other alterations in bowel habit. Alterations like that um, should be concerned that there might be an underlying lesion. Other symptoms of colorectal cancer can be uh, anemia, uh, can be pain, cramping, um, and nausea and vomiting, uh, fever of unknown origin, and so on. So there could be other nonspecific findings that can also be associated with the development of colorectal cancer. 
I should also make a comment about colorectal cancer in general. The GI system is quite long. So you have the small bowel and then the large bowel. And actually there are two parts to the large bowel, uh, the rectum and the colon. And um, we sort of lump together all of these cancers, colorectal cancers as, as a group. However, the rectum is definitely different than the colon. The cancers of the rectum are different. They have different risk factors and they also have different behavior. So even though we talk about colorectal cancer as a group, it is important to know whether your cancer is actually in the colon or if it's in the rectum. Rectum cancers are more likely to be associated with um, toxins such as cigarette smoking uh, rather than the colon cancer, which may often be associated with hereditary disposition. Also, I should point out there's an another type of cancer, anal cancer, uh, that is also different uh, from rectal cancer. The anal cancers are ones of the external anal skin and uh, in the perianal area. And so many of these are related to human papillomavirus, which can cause malignant transformation of that area and uh, cause the development of squamous cell carcinoma. Also, there are comorbid factors that can increase the likelihood of getting colon rectal cancer and also increase its risk of progression. An important one is the, the presence of HIV. So HIV can certainly increase the risk of uh, the development of anal cancer and also if anal cancer develops, the rate of progression. So that, that's one disease that can impact that. Another disease that has a close association with colorectal cancer is diabetes. And uh, diabetes certainly carries a risk factor uh, for the development of colorectal cancer as well. We don't quite understand why that is the case. For some reason, um, people with diabetes have in general a higher rate of a variety of cancers. Now, if we look at the hereditary risk factors, um, so there, there are actually multiple different syndromes that can lead to colorectal cancer. First, we'll talk about polyposis coli. So this is a, a, an inherited condition where a patient will develop literally hundreds or thousands of polyps in their colon. And because polyps are a precursor lesion, having so many of these means that the odds of one of them turning malignant is actually quite high. And so these individuals can actually develop colonic cancer in their teens or early 20s. Often these individuals are aware that they're from families that have these multiple polyps. The treatment is actually early colectomy, uh, removing the colon um, so that the polyps don't develop and this interrupts the, uh, the development of cancer. A second condition is called HNPCC or hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer. It's also called Lynch syndrome. And in Lynch syndrome, this is an inherited condition where patients have an increased risk of developing colorectal cancer at a young age. This syndrome is also associated with the risk of developing um, uterine cancer and some cancers of other sites as well. So there are criteria, are there more than one generation of your family that has colon cancer? Did they get colon cancer at a young age? Did some of them have uh, endometrial cancer and so on? And if you're from a family like this, there's a high possibility that you may be part of a Lynch family syndrome. And again, these uh, individuals can benefit from enhanced screening 
which means developing or, or beginning um, colonoscopic evaluations at a younger age. So that's uh, Lynch syndrome. There are some other rarer syndromes associated with uh, the development of colorectal cancer. There's one called Lee Frommeni syndrome. This is due to an inherited P53 uh, gene that's mutated. And uh, people who belong to these families may get all kinds of cancer and colorectal cancer is one of them, uh, but they may also get lung cancer or blood cancers or other types of cancers, sarcomas and brain cancers as well. So Lee for many is a general cancer syndrome. So there are all these uh, more or less common uh, variants of colorectal cancer. And interestingly, BRCA, BRCA1, which is most often associated with breast cancer, can also um, increase the risk of colorectal cancer as well. So uh, having a breast cancer associated gene in your family may also increase your risk of developing uh, colonic and colorectal cancer also. Now, if we know that we're at high risk or even normal risk, um, there are many screening strategies. The best screening is colonoscopy. And generally this is recommended to begin at age 50. And um, on a colonoscopy, this is where a uh, instrument where a scope is really can be inserted into the colon to examine by direct visualization, uh, the lining of the colon. And in this examination, one can uncover the presence of polyps and the presence of early cancers. Now, the interesting thing about colorectal cancer is often it's preceded by the development of a polyp. And a polyp is simply something that looks like a mushroom or a cauliflower, and it's an abnormal growth of the lining of the tube of the colon. Now, this can persist for many years, and it uh, starts as a benign condition. However, it can convert uh, to malignancy if it's left there for a period of time. Hence, on colonoscopic examination, if polyps are observed, generally they are removed, uh, they're biopsied and excised. And this actually stops these polyps from turning into cancer. Also on a colonoscopy, one can see early evidence of cancer, early invasive cancers that may cause um, lumps on the colonic mucosa or areas of hemorrhage. And so these can also be biopsied uh, to confirm the presence of a cancer and then further definitive surgery can be done. So colonoscopic examination is um, considered the gold standard for evaluation of the colon. A lot of people uh, find that colonoscopy is not necessarily uh, pleasant or comfortable. So there's an effort to try to uncover other ways to uh, discover early colonic cancer. And uh, some of them focus on evaluating the stool. This is tests such as the FIT test or fecal occult blood test. So evaluation of um, the presence of blood in stool movements can be helpful to determine there may be a hiding or an early colon cancer. So this can be a useful test. There's also a FIT test, which is a similar test. That's an immunocytochemical test looking for abnormal markers in the stool. And then there's a test called uh, Cologuard, which again can be done at home where a stool sample is collected and molecular mutations are identified in the sample, which can lead to early detection. There's advances now being made on blood tests. There was a blood test called epiprocolon that was useful in identifying early um, colonic cancer. And there's new tests coming onto the market, such as GRAIL and others, 
that appear to have the ability to detect early colonic cancer from a blood sample. And this is exciting as uh, blood samples can be easily obtained and that could be done at an annual examination or more frequently in people where there, there might be risk. Now, keeping that in mind, uh, the colonoscopic examination is still the best test and considered the gold standard. The other tests are, while they may work, they do have significant false negatives, and in some cases, they may have false positive results as well. And this can obviously be concerning for an individual, and it may lead to unnecessary medical investigation, or it may lead to delays in diagnosis if they actually do have an underlying colonic cancer. Now, I should also talk a little bit about the results of genetic tests. So if you do happen to have a genetic test and the result comes back negative, there's several things this can mean. So first of all, um, it may mean that you don't have an increased risk of colonic cancer. It may mean that you might still have an increased risk of colonic cancer, but the test failed to identify. It didn't cover the exact genes that are necessary for your particular inherited condition. Um, also, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get colon cancer because a negative test for a high-risk gene still means that person would be at normal risk of developing colon cancer, which is still significant in a person's lifetime. Likewise, if you do get a positive result on a genetic test, it doesn't mean that you're doomed to getting colon cancer, that uh, colon cancer may not necessarily develop in all people who carry a predisposing gene. However, if you do have that gene, you should probably begin screening earlier and also be more sensitive to any symptoms that may point towards the presence of colon cancer. Now, why all of this interest in screening? So that moves on to the next part in terms of diagnosis and treatment. Really, the only way to diagnose colon cancer is with a biopsy. So this is where um, basically a piece of tissue is removed and it's sent to a pathologist who will examine it and determine if this is uh, actually a colonic cancer. Now, sometimes a biopsy can be very small and can be from the surface of a polyp, in which case a pathologist may think it's benign, but this may be due to inadequate sampling. There could still be invasion somewhere in that polyp. And a pathologist may make a comment about something like there's dysplasia. Dysplasia means that the cells are abnormal. They're not yet fully cancer, but that it causes concern in the pathologist that these cells could turn into cancer given enough time, or else that they're actually next to an area of cancer that we haven't actually biopsied, so that we should consider either going back and biopsying further or simply removing the entire lesion, which is usually recommended. So if there is dysplasia or a polyp, it's strongly recommended that those um, lesions be completely excised because it can remove any tiny cancers that are hiding in them. And it also stops them turning into cancer should there not yet be a cancer present in them. Now, the typical treatment for um, colorectal cancer is, first of all, a local excision of a polyp, and that may be all that's necessary. And then a patient can have a follow-up exam. However, if the cancer has invaded into the wall of the colon or further, then generally uh, a colectomy or hemicolectomy is performed. So this is where a surgeon will remove a piece of the colon that contains the tumor uh, to remove it in its entirety. Um, the surgeon will also remove the regional lymph nodes, which are very important. 
and uh, the surgeon must remove at least 12. And you ask, why is that important? Why should 12 be removed? And many studies have shown that at least 12 lymph nodes must be examined and be negative to be certain that the tumor hasn't spread anywhere. Now, if any of those nodes are positive, then this is considered a more advanced stage of cancer and also uh, more aggressive therapy would be indicated. So the first line of therapy is surgery. So surgery to remove the tumor can actually be curative, which means that no further treatment is necessary. So if the tumor is early stage, there are no lymph nodes, and surgery is complete, meaning that the margins are complete and there's no residual cancer left, then that patient may very well be cured. Now, if a patient is earlier stage, which means stage two, there can be a certain degree of uncertainty in this group of patients where uh, there, there's a risk that some of them will progress to develop metastasis over time and other ones may not. And this is an area of dilemma for treatment. There's various clues that can be used to help guide for example, if there's lymphatic invasion or if a blood test is positive for circulating tumor cells or cell-free DNA, these may be indicators that a patient is at greater risk of recurrence and so that they may benefit from having something called adjuvant therapy. Adjuvant therapy is a type of therapy that's given to patients who don't have any obvious evidence of metastatic disease or advanced disease. And it's given with the hope of preventing that disease from occurring down the road. So the assumption is in certain cancers, the cells have escaped and they're basically hiding in different parts of the body. Now, there's nothing we can do about them. We can't see them. We don't even know if they're there for sure, but we know that if the lymph nodes are positive or if the tumor is bigger, there's a good chance that those cells are hiding somewhere. So this is where adjuvant therapy comes in by giving adjuvant chemotherapy we hopefully kill any of those escaped cells or put them into a permanent sleep where they don't come back and cause a metastasis down the road. But it's still a little bit unclear as to which patients should get adjuvant therapy, uh, particularly in early stage patients. Now, if the patient is more advanced, um, generally the, the basic therapy will be a type of chemotherapy. Uh, that'll be the initial therapy, but also an advanced disease. We're now looking at the use of targeted therapies so one of the key targeted therapies is anti-EGFR therapy or anti-epidermal growth factor receptor therapy. And, and this can be quite effective. Now, to be eligible for this, uh, a patient needs a molecular test to determine if a gene called KRAS is mutated. So why would you need to know about KRAS? Well, if the KRAS is mutated and activated, it means that that patient will be resistant to EGFR therapy and there isn't much point in using it. Now, with patients with certain kinds of KRAS mutations, for example, the G12C, which is a very specific kind of KRAS activation mutation, there's a drug that's been developed by Amgen that can actually counter that mutation and is now in clinical trials and early use. So knowing the exact mutations in a colorectal tumor can be quite helpful. Now, colorectal cancers are also amenable to treatment with immune uh, therapy checkpoints. And this is one of the tumors where there's very effective response, very, very dramatic response to immune therapy. And this is particularly in the setting of Lynch syndrome or microsatellite instability. So now it's actually routine for a pathologist to test a tumor to determine does it have 
microsatellite instability. And this is a test that's done either using a stain where we determine if certain proteins are missing, that's called MMR, or a molecular test is done to determine if there's microsatellite instability. So if any of these molecular tests or stain tests are positive, that patient would now become eligible for treatment with immune therapy checkpoints. And these patients have very strong and dramatic responses often to these, uh, these types of treatment. In fact, um, at ASCO this year, there was a presentation where on one of these trials, these early access trials, where there was a 100% response to immune checkpoint inhibitors in people who had cancer that showed microsatellite instability. So it's definitely something worth checking in the tumors. Now, also in advanced tumors, there can be other alterations. Uh, for example, there can be mutations in certain targetable genes, such as NTREC 1, 2, and 3. And uh, these tumor alterations may also be uh, responsive to targeted therapy. So in patients with advanced stage cancers, it's strongly recommended that a molecular profile be done, especially for microsatellite instability and Lynch syndrome because of the really uh, dramatic responses to that. Now, remember, I also told you that uh, BRCA, people who inherit BRCA mutations may also develop colorectal cancer. So it's important to look at those. Do you in, in have an inherited BRCA mutation or actually a BRCA mutation in the tumor? Uh, because if you do happen to have one of those, you might become eligible for uh, treatment with a PARP inhibitor, which can be very effective as well. Now, another type of test that a lot of patients are unaware of, and even many doctors are, is liquid biopsy. Liquid biopsy is simply a blood test. It can be very effective in patients with colorectal cancer uh, because you can detect if there are any circulating tumor cells or if there are mutations that can be targeted. In addition, using cell-free DNA, we can monitor if a patient has any residual disease following surgery, and also if their disease is actually responding to treatment or if it's changing, if it's becoming resistant. So uh, liquid biopsy is a very powerful method that more and more doctors are using. And maybe you can ask about whether it's right for you as a patient to help you monitor your disease and also to determine if it's responding well to treatment. Also, a liquid biopsy can uncover other treatment opportunities. There are a couple of new emerging treatment opportunities, which include in clinical trial setting, targeting HER2. So HER2 can actually be amplified in a subset of uh, colon cancers. And so targeted therapies against HER2 may be effective. And another gene is mutated called BRAF. So there are plenty of novel and emerging targets in colorectal cancer where there are many new therapies and many new clinical trials. And for patients with cancer, if your oncologist has told you that you're really at the end of your treatment choices and you still feel well or healthy enough to participate in a clinical trial, this can be a very important uh, decision for you. Some patients say they don't want to be a guinea pig, but I would say that isn't actually what happens in a clinical trial. Clinical trials are very carefully constructed. They're overseen by uh, data security and safety committees that make sure that the trial has been properly designed. It's designed to stop if there are unusual side effects or toxic effects. And most trials are designed with not a placebo, so one arm is standard treatment, and then the other arm is a novel therapy plus standard treatment. And uh, generally, um, if that better arm, or if the new arm is doing better, 
patients will be switched over. So clinical trials are, are very important, gives you early access. In most cases, they're free uh, to join. So the, the company that is sponsoring the trial will actually pay uh, for administration of the trial. That concludes my discussion of colorectal cancer. I think the main points I want to emphasize is, is one, colon cancer has some defined risk factors. Some of the most important are family history. So knowing your family history can be quite important. The second thing is colorectal cancer can be detected early so that it's actually at a curable stage. Proper screening and detection is definitely life-saving. So getting at a colorectal cancer to stage zero or stage one will be cured by simple surgery. So having proper screening and early detection is, is clearly very important there. The treatments are changing quickly. Uh, currently for early cancer, surgery may be the only treatment. For more advanced cancer, uh, there are standard chemotherapies that are used. And if the tumor progresses beyond that, there is uh, several different choices for immune therapy and targeted therapies. At the end of the day, it really comes down to having proper diagnosis. So again, in the era of precision medicine, it is really important that your tumor be properly profiled so that you understand, first of all, is the diagnosis correct? Is the stage correct? Because those two things really guide treatments and outcomes. And also, has it been molecularly profiled? I recommend that all tumors really get molecularly profiled as soon as you can, uh, because in that instance, you can really determine what are the treatment options, because it can take significant time to do a molecular profiling. You don't want to wait until a recurrence becomes critical or that uh, symptoms are overwhelming and that you can no longer wait to have a proper profiling done. So having proper molecular profiling in advance can be extremely helpful uh, for categorizing a tumor and also planning future treatment responses. That concludes today's uh, discussion of colorectal cancer. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Cancer Informant. I'm Tony Malioko, the Cancer Informant. It's a pleasure connecting with you. Please visit our website. You're welcome to leave questions and comments. We will answer questions in future episodes. And uh, please leave suggestions for future topics as well. So thank you for your time today. Uh, listen to other episodes, and we look forward to you joining us in the future. Have a wonderful day and a fantastic 2023. Goodbye.